When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could see, so he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, my son. And he answered, here I am. And he said, behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me and prepare for me delicious food such as I love and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now, Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son, Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son, Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. He said, bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord, before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two, and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare them to, for, to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, we're deep in this series on, of Genesis and the first 11 chapters in Genesis are about the early history of the world and then the latter 39 chapters in Genesis are about really one family. It's about family dynamics. It's about Abraham, Abraham's son Isaac, Isaac's son Jacob, and Jacob's son Joseph. And so really, you cover thousands of years of history in the first 11 chapters, and then after that, you cover four generations. And that's, that's basically what you have. The story slows down tremendously. And what's been surprising to me as we've been studying this story is just how much of the story is about family dynamics. I feel like I need to go back to school and get another grad degree in family dynamics counseling or something like that if I'm going to preach Genesis well. If you go to a counselor to work on yourself, uh, as many of us have, if you go to a counselor and you you talk, where's the counselor going to start? Well, tell me about yourself. Tell me about your family. Tell me about your mother and your father. That's almost universally where, where counselors start. Tell me about your parents. Because counselors know this thing that the Bible is kind of emphasizing here, and it's our parents make and break us in many different ways. Our parents make and break us in many different ways. And if the counselor was to talk to your parents, the counselor would say the same thing. Tell me about your parents. Tell me about your mother and father. All the way back, you could just keep going until you get back to Adam and Eve. Because we pass down the sin from Adam and Eve to our children, there's no way to avoid it. We inherit a sinful nature. Last week, we talked about what it means to receive a legacy from our parents And last week was really just the first course of the meal of family dynamics. We're going deep into this family dynamics aspect over the next couple weeks. There'll be other things that we talk about as well. But this week, as we look at the story of Jacob and Esau, I'd only read the first 10 verses. We're going to look at the whole thing. We would just be sitting here for a while if we went through the whole chapter. Um, What we're going to find is this idea of blessing. And what does it mean to be blessed by your parents? What does it mean to have your parents' approval? And why does that mean so much to us? And how do we get that? And why do some of us say it doesn't matter at all to us? Why do do some of us say we don't care what our parents think? We're going to do our own thing. 
And this is kind of the theme of what's happening here. And I think that as we go deep into this theme, though, we come to a lot of spiritual truths because a lot of us live our lives under these realities of trying to please our parents. And it's a great week for the kids to be in here because they're going to be thinking about these things as well. We live our lives under this big shadow of how do we please these parents, even if it's subconscious, we, we still do it. But how does God want us to live? Is that how he wants us to live? Is there another way to live? And so we're just going to walk through this passage verse by verse. There's a lot to explore here. So let's hop in. Verse one, when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called, Isaac his, he called Esau his older son and said to him, my son. And he answered, here I am. Let me reorient us just for a moment. It's been a couple of weeks since we had Jacob and Esau. They're the sons of Isaac. Isaac's wife is Rebecca, and Rebecca had twins. And as she was pregnant, she went and, and, um, and received a word from the Lord. She said, something crazy is going on inside of my womb. It feels like there's an angry octopus in there. And so she went and received a word from the Lord, and the Lord told her that inside of her womb are two nations, and that the younger would actually rule over the older, and that the older would serve the younger. And so from the time that she was very pregnant, Rebecca has known that Jacob is the promised child of God. But it looks like Isaac has refused to hear that word of the Lord that came to his wife, because from the time that they were very little, Isaac's favorite child has been Esau, the older one, and Rebekah's favorite child has been Jacob, the younger one. Now, we all know that you should not pick favorites, and this is kind of a, uh, this is just a lesson in what it means when two parents choose their favorite child. It pits everyone against one another, and it's just not a good situation all the way through as we look here. And so right here, what's going on, Isaac, and Isaac is old, Jacob and Esau are adults, and Isaac is on his deathbed, and his, he's gone blind, he can't see, and he calls out and he says, my son, come here, and Esau says, here I am. Verse two, he said, behold, I am old, I do not know the day of my death. Isaac doesn't know the day of his death, but by what he's saying is he's saying, hey, death is coming soon. Verse three, now then take your weapons and your quiver and your bow and go out to the field and hunt game for me and prepare for me delicious food such as I love and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now a couple chapters ago we learned that the reason why Esau is Isaac's favorite is because Esau likes to hunt and he likes to kill game and Isaac likes to eat. So just like his son Esau, who's ruled by his belly, if you remember a couple weeks ago, Esau sold his birthright for just a simple uh, pot of stew. Today we see Isaac being ruled by his belly in the same kind of way. It turns out that the apple didn't fall far from the tree. Verse five, now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Now, uh, Rebecca, she's in the next room over. She's not right there. It seems like there is a rift between Isaac and Rebecca. They're not getting along completely. They're not on the same page, especially about the whole inheritance thing. They're not on the same page about which child should receive the inheritance. 
And I just love some of the details here. If you look in verse 5, it says, Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. But then verse 6 says, Rebekah said to her son Jacob. Aren't they both, both of their children? But no, it's saying, no, Esau belongs to Isaac. Jacob belongs to Rebekah. They've chosen sides, and even in the way that the narrator is telling the story, he's showing that the two, uh, this family has formed factions, basically, is what happened. They're pit against one another. And so Rebekah calls him over, and uh, Rebekah says, now look, Jacob, come here, my son. Your dad is about to give away the blessing. Here's what we're going to do. She hatches a plan. Now, this is a crazy plan, but it's a plan. She says, He's asked Esau to go make his favorite food. But look, I'm a good cook, and I can make it better than Esau. And so here's what I want you to do. Go out, get two young goats, bring them back. Mama's going to cook. She's going to make this meal just like Isaac likes it. I know how to do this. Then I'm going to send you in there. You're going to pretend that you're Esau, and you're going to receive the blessing from Isaac. It's a crazy plan, but that's her plan. Now, if I'm Isaac in this situation, and my son Jacob dresses up like his brother and comes in the room and tricks me and takes the blessing that I meant for Esau, the second I find out about that, I'm saying, hold up, that wasn't intended for you. I did not mean to give that blessing to you. That was intended for Esau. You are a fraud. Get out of here, Jacob. You're done. You're out. That's how I would have responded. That seems like the way every sane person would respond in this situation. This is fraud. This is like a capital offense, okay? This is not an appropriate way for, for Jacob to get the blessing from his father. And so I've been trying to figure out why they felt like Isaac's blessing couldn't be taken back. Because that's the obvious thing, is like, if you steal his blessing, he's just going to be like, never mind, I didn't mean it, you know? Like, give it back to me, I'm giving it to him. Like, that's the obvious, like, I think the way I've always interpreted this, until this week, really, is it's kind of like a magical spell. Like, once you get the words out, you can't change them. It's like Dr. Strange, you know, he's getting it out, and then you just can't change it, I've already said it. But I don't think that that's actually what's happening. I don't think that that's actually what's happening because the more I've studied this, the more I've understood this idea of the deathbed blessing. You see, it's customary in ancient cultures to give a deathbed blessing. And it was seen as just an amazing opportunity. If you knew you were about to die, you would call over your closest relatives. You would call over all of your children and you would give them each a blessing. This is what Jacob does for his 12 sons. He gives them each a blessing. When you see Abraham, what does he do? He gives a blessing not just to Isaac, he gives a blessing to Ishmael, to the son that his wife hates. He still gives a blessing to him. But Isaac is being a jerk, and he doesn't want to bless Rebekah's child. He only wants to bless his own child. He only wants to bless Esau. He does not want to include Jacob in the blessing whatsoever. This deathbed blessing, it's kind of seen as a bit of a last will and testimony. 
um, saying that this is who I'm going to leave these things to, but it's a little bit more than that. It's not a magical thing, but it is a very important and sacred moment. It's kind of like a wedding. I get a power trip out of doing weddings sometimes, okay? I'll just, I'll just put it really clear. I've done several of your weddings, and it's always a joy to do a wedding. And I know it's really the Lord doing the work, but at the end of the day, I love saying like, hey, and now you two are married because I said so. <laughs> that's, that's basically what it comes down to. I said you're married, you're married now, all right? Go do married people things. <laughs> There's nothing magical that happens at a wedding, I mean, two people walk down the aisle. The, signing a paper, you know, that's just government stuff. We don't really care. Um, you know, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. Two people walking down an aisle and speaking words of commitment to one another as their friends and family look on. It has power. It has weight. And that is a lot like the blessing at the bedside. It has power. It has weight. It's a sacred moment. Now, if you got married to the wrong woman, so we shall see very soon, there's no taking it back, okay? This is a story that happens to Jacob in just a few moments. He, the, the duper gets duped uh, in, in a few chapters. Yes, he actually gets married to the wrong woman. We'll, we'll get there soon. There's no taking it back. You, you, you made the mistake. And that's kind of how they felt about this bedside blessing. These words, they're powerful. And aren't words very powerful? Don't we have the power to bless or to curse? They, the saying goes, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. But really, it's more like words are going to float around in my head for the next several weeks. I'm going to have to go to counseling. I'm going to have to work through this. Could you please just give me sticks and stones? It would be cheaper in a lot of ways, okay? Send me to the hospital. It's fine. At least I'm not going to a therapist for the rest of my life. It's... Our words are really important. A few weeks ago, I was hanging out with a bunch of church planters and pastors and people that are my friends, but also, you know, this is confession time. Church planters are typically an insecure lot. I don't know if you've been around many of us, but uh, most of us have something to prove. You know, anybody who decides they want to start a business is a little bit crazy, all right? And anybody that decides they want to start a church is a lot bit crazy. It's like, God, who said that God has anointed you to plant a church, to start a church? But God does call people to start churches. And so oftentimes, uh, with these groups, it's people that feel like they have a chip on their shoulder and they, they, need a, they feel like they still have to prove themselves some. And hopefully we're all finding our identity in the Lord and we're growing, but... We're all sinners still. Anyways, we'll continue. Um, I was hanging out with a friend, and um, he planted his church around the same time that we, we launched a city on Hill Somerville here, and he was telling me the story of the day he was moving to go plant the church. And he was leaving this church that he had served on staff at for several years, and he had a mentor that had really taken him under his wing, and this mentor had... had loved him and cared for him well over the years, had really taught him a lot about, about church, about pastoral ministry. And they got breakfast the last day before he moved. And when they got breakfast, I guess he was expecting a blessing, but what came out was a curse. This pastor mentor, I don't know what he said. My friend wouldn't share it with me. He said, I haven't shared it with anyone but my wife and my therapist. And it's just too hurtful. I can't get into it. Words 
have power. So much power. I learned this because I made a really big mistake at this moment. I did something really dumb and I had to seek his forgiveness because I was like, oh my gosh, dude, what did he say? And he's like, I really don't want to get into it. I was like, did he say he doesn't believe in you? And he was like, I said, I don't want to get into it. And then the conversation ended because our words have power. I had to seek his forgiveness for that. And he was like, that's not what he said, but that was rude of you to say that. (laughs) Because I offered a curse in that moment in many ways. You see, in that pivotal moment where he's doing probably the thing that's the most risk that he's ever done in his entire life, He's hoping that this mentor, this pastor, this this friend would offer him a blessing, a word of, I believe in you. You're going to kill it. You're going to do great. But that's not what he got. Don't we all want to receive that type of blessing where someone who knows us deeply, who's seen us live our lives, can look us eye to eye and say something kind, say something uplifting, give us a vision to live into, say, to say something realistic. They're not just blowing smoke. We don't need smoke. We need real words of real encouragement from people who really know us. That's a blessing. And that goes not just into our head to inflate us, but a blessing goes into our heart to give us weight and to keep us going. And you live off of those days. You live off of those blessings. And that's what Jacob wants. And he doesn't care if he has to steal it. Verse 14. So Jacob went and took the goats and brought them to his mother. And his mother prepared delicious food, such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the, the, the best garments of, her, of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands. This is kind of goofy to me. It's like she put the goat skin on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And that was because Esau was a really hairy dude, so we've learned. And so Jacob had smooth skin, so he had to, she had to cover his skin with this goat hair. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son, Jacob. So Jacob's about to go in here to pretend like he's his brother and to get the blessing from Isaac. He's looking for his father's blessing, and how does he get it? But by pretending to be someone that he isn't. How many of us can relate? I'm sure that there's no one in this room who has felt the pressure of being someone that they are not by their parents. Expectations have been placed on us, have they not? If you grew up in a traditional society, if you grew up in a a household that's not white for the most part, this is going to ring really true to you. You had more, I don't want to speak in stereotypes or or whatnot, but in generalities, you had more expectations placed on you as a child. You see, Westerners, we, th- we like to think, oh, I'm my own person, and we even like to think our kids are our own persons. We don't want to put expectations on our children. 
And we like to think that we have this whole you do you mantra, we don't need our parents, we don't need their approval. We might not choose our career based upon what our parents want us to do, but then we will pay a lot of money to talk to a therapist to work out what our parents expected of us. We spend years trying to figure out why we can't please our parents, even though we say we don't care if we please our parents. Every person on this planet is looking for the exact same thing that Jacob's looking for. Every person is looking for blessing. We all want someone to look us in the eyes and say, you know what, you're smart enough, you're good enough, you got it together, you're gonna make it. You can do this, you're successful, you will be, you're gonna make it. And we're willing to dress up in someone else's clothes in order to get that blessing. We're, we're willing to show off a little bit to get that blessing. It might not be from our parents. You know, some of us, it might be from our parents. Your parents might expect you to be a doctor. You might not really want to be a doctor, but it's like, eh, I'm going to be a doctor. That's where I'm going to go. But some of us, we, we dress up in different kinds of ways because we're looking for other people's approval. We might not be looking for our parents' approval. We might be looking for academia's approval. And so we dress up as if we're the right type of person for academia to accept. We might be looking for our peers' approval. We might be looking for our boss's approval. All of us have a person that we wish would look us in the eye and say, well done, good and faithful servant. And we're willing to put on someone else's clothes to get that. We're willing to fake it until we make it. Is it your boss, your advisor, your parents? I don't know. We all have that person, though. So Jacob gets all dressed up like Esau, and he goes in. Verse 18. So he went in to his father, and he said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who, who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I'm Esau, your firstborn. I've done as you told me. Now sit up and eat, eat of my game that your soul may bless me. Jacob wakes in, walks in, and he's like, blessing, please, I'm Esau. <laughs> Isaac's suspicious. Verse 20, but Isaac said to his son, how is it that you, have found, that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, because the Lord your God granted me great success. Jacob's like, okay, good answer, good answer. I'm doing good here. Verse 21, Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. And so Jacob goes near to Isaac, his father, who felt him. He's like, eh, hand, feel my hand, please. The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. Ah, the goat trick worked. Esau recognizes that it's Jacob's voice, but it's Esau's hands. Verse 24, he said, are you really my son Esau? Isaac's so suspicious. And he answers, I am. He recognizes that uh, Isaac said it's Jacob's voice, so suddenly Jacob has a lot less to say. Are you really my son? Yes. <laughs> Verse 25, then he said, bring it near me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. You see what, what Isaac's doing is he's using all five senses to confirm that this is, that this is Esau. He's using his hearing to hear the voice. He's confirming it by talking. He's, 
He's using uh, his taste by tasting of the food, trying to make sure that it works. He's using his sense of touch to, to touch Jacob and to see that he is Esau. And he even decides to use his sense of smell because he says, then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. And so this is his tricky way of being like, I want to smell you and see if you smell like my son. So he came near and kissed him, and Isaac smelled the smell of his garments. And at that moment, Isaac was like, four out of five is not bad. I'm giving you the blessing. (laughs) And he gives him his blessing. And he says, see, the smell of my son is is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth, and plenty of grain and wine. Let the people serve you, and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. That's a low blow, right? Your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. Isaac had had this blessing prepared. He knew what he wanted to say. He had been working on it. And he gave it to Jacob. And as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came running in from his hunting. Uh Uh-oh. And his father Isaac said, who are you? And he said, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Now we have a problem. And I think that this is the most important verse in this entire passage, because this is what happens. Verse 33, then Esau, then, sorry, verse 33, then Isaac trembled very violently and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. I think it's at this moment that Isaac makes this decision to bless only Jacob and not Jacob and Esau. You see, Isaac was planning on only blessing one child, and only one child shall he bless. And until this point in the story, Rebecca's been telling him every day, God spoke to me. She said that, God said, he said that Jacob is the promised child give the blessing to Jacob. And Isaac has refused. He hasn't heard her. He doesn't want to give in. But at this moment, he realizes that he's been duped and he finally gives in. And he says, you know what? Rebecca's right. Jacob gets the blessing. And yes, he shall be blessed. He makes that decision. Could he have given the blessing to Esau as well? I think he could have. I mean, there's nothing to say that he couldn't have given him at least something, but instead of giving him a blessing, he gives Esau the curse that he had saved for Jacob. He just decides to switch him up, to turn it around. He says, away from the fatness of the earth shall your blessing be. Away from the dew of heaven, you shall serve your brother. Esau is just crying. He's, he's weeping. Esau is broken. And we're, we're meant to resonate with him and to feel sorry for him. He, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me, even me also, oh, my father. But he won't. And at this point, Esau's hot. He's just mad. And wouldn't you be? 
Wouldn't you be mad? And so what he says is he's like, the minute, I, the minute that Isaac dies, you're dying, Jacob. He, he threatens to kill his brother whenever his dad dies. And so at that moment, Rebecca hears him say that. Rebecca, the mom, she says, Jacob, you got to get out of here. Go to my brother Laban. Run away. And here we have the chosen family of God completely in shambles. Nothing's going right. Isaac's dying. Jacob has cheated everyone, and now he's having to run away for his life. Esau is angry. The marriage is on the rocks. Nothing is going right. And so one lesson that we can learn here is this. Is your family messed up? That's the norm. Do you have a sibling that you're not really on speaking terms with? Get in line. The people of God have always had messed up families. Another lesson that we can learn from this is, I hope you're a better parent than, Jacob, than Isaac and Rebecca. I hope you're not choosing favorites. But that's not the moral that we get from all of this. That's not why this passage is in here. I think the real moral of the story is what God chooses to do with this messed up family. Because who does God choose to bless in this messed up family but the most messed up one? Sometimes the most messed up of us all receive the blessing from God. Jacob, he's not likable. Many of the Jewish commentators on this point out that not the narrator doesn't even like Jacob that he's just not a likable dude. He's like Saul Goodman without any of the humor connected to it. He's just a treat, a, a, a cheat. He's a scoundrel, not an not a enjoyable person to be around. But yet he's the one who's given the sacred promise to carry the seed that one day the Messiah would come and conquer the serpent. He's the one. And friends, what we learn is that God loves to take the least likely, the messed up, the people like you and me, and to use them for his own glory. If I'm God, I'm finding the smartest, the strongest, the best, and they're joining my team. But I'm not God, and so what God chooses to do is find the weakest, and sometimes those who aren't the smartest. Find the foolish for this world, and to bring them to himself so that his glory might be more magnified. God chooses the weak things of the earth so that he might be made much of. And friends, that is who you are and is who I am. When we come to God, we shouldn't come to God and say, look, I've got my, all of my act put together. I'm a pretty decent person. You should accept me. No, we have to come to God saying, I'm a mess. <laughs> I don't have my act put together. I'm not a great person. But would you, would you save me? We can't get the blessing of God by proving ourselves to God. We can only get the blessing of God by trusting in what Christ has done for us. This is what Romans 9 is talking about when it talks about Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. It's just pointing out this thing that we can't prove ourselves before God and that God chooses the unlikely to glorify himself. Church, the blessing that you're looking for, it can only be found with God. 
even if you were to get your parents' full blessing and approval, I know many of us would love to have that, even if you could get academia's full blessing and approval, even if you could get uh, biotech's full blessing and approval, it wouldn't be enough. Because who had the full approval of their parent, of their father in this passage? But Esau. And Esau didn't care about it. He sold it for a, a, a bowl of stew a few chapters ago. It wouldn't be enough. No, and, and the answer also can't be what we often say it is, is you do you. Don't worry about what anybody else thinks about you. Okay, that's what we tell, that's what we tell one another. When, when my children come home and say, I really wish this person would like me, I'm like, ah, you just can't care about what anybody thinks about you. That's not the gospel. The gospel is this. You have someone that says, well done, good and faithful servant. Because you are dressed up in the clothes of your brother Christ, that he's gone before you, that he is the firstborn child of God, he is completely accepted. You know, at his, at his baptism, the sky opens up, a, a voice comes from heaven and says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. But then the scriptures teach us that as we trust in him, as we follow him, we're united with him. It's as if we're wearing his clothes and now we can approach the father with confidence we can move close to him. We can receive the blessing from God. The answer is, don't care about what they think. It's care what God thinks more. And you know what God thinks? If you're in Christ, he loves you like Christ. If you're in Jesus, you're beloved as Jesus is beloved. And that's a hard truth, but that is the truth. That is the one that we have to savor, that we have to run back to over and over and over again. When people will not give us the approval that we're looking for, we have to go to Christ and find the approval that can only be found in him. That's the voice that we all long to hear. If you trust Christ as your savior, that's the voice that you'll receive. You can approach the throne of God. You can be blessed by God. He is pleased with you. He loves you. You are his beloved son, and you will receive the inheritance of the firstborn. Place your hope in him, church. He's the only thing that won't disappoint. If you look for your parents' approval, you will be disappointed. There will always be another hoop to jump through, something else to do to get their approval. If you look for academia's approval or your work's approval, there will always be something else. But only with God can you receive full approval, full blessing from him. And you will receive it throughout eternity. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took a loaf of bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. And he took a cup and he said, this is my blood shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so each week we practice a sacred meal here called communion and we do it in response to what God's done for us. It's a reminder that we have, we have Christ and we've received the blessing of God. And so if you're a believer here this morning, we encourage you to examine your life. Are you walking in accordance with the gospel? Are you following Jesus? And, and repent of any way that you're not and receive this meal if you are trusting in him. So church, let's stand as we prepare to respond to God's word and to receive this meal.
Father, as we, um, as we come to this table, we pray that we would be able to trust in you and to know that you are enough for us. God, we, uh, we confess that we are oftentimes looking for approval in all the wrong places. We're looking for approval from our work, our friends, and God, we, we need to just rest in your full approval of us because of what Christ has done. God, help us to love others because of the way that you have loved them. Help us to be forgiving because you have forgiven them. And help us to rest in that blessing, to receive those words, to know that you see us all the way through to our core, and yet you love us still. And as we receive this meal, we pray that anyone in here who hasn't received that message of love and forgiveness, that they might receive it this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.